Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome back. If you're a guest, especially if you just came back from Easter, welcoming all our online viewers right now, wherever you guys are at, all over uh, Northeast Ohio and some of the other states. And we're going to have a great time together, learning more about God and His Word. Every now and then at my house, a good old-fashioned classic game of hide-and-seek breaks out. I don't know if you still do that. Uh, If you don't have any kids in your home, you should do it anyways, just for the fun of it, you know? (laughs) Make sure there's someone with you. It would be a long game otherwise, but... um, it's a great game, and I've got three kids, and so it's just fun watching hide-and-seek, and of course, it's the classic thing. If you're the one hiding, you know, you've got to find that right spot that you don't think anyone's going to find you, unless, of course, you're an adult playing with little kids, and then you try to be as obvious as possible, right? So you try to hide behind, like, you know, the couch standing straight up, and, oh, I found you. It's really easy, you know, bless their hearts, you know? Um, but sometimes it can be really frustrating being the finder. Right? You know, you know they're hiding, you know they're in the house somewhere or they're outside somewhere, and so you just start looking and you start to convince yourself, oh, I know where they're at. They're under that bed in that one room. And then you look under the bed and you're like, no, they're not there. Uh. Oh, they're in that closet. And you open the closet, no, they're not there. And you start trying to find them, and, and it's frustrating when you can't find what you're looking for. But then it feels so good when you do, right? And I love you, my seven year old right now. You think it's like the most amazing experience she's ever had in her life when she finds one of her siblings. You know, she'll go, I found you. You know, the neighbor's four houses down here, I found you. I don't know, someone was missing, you know? And uh, it's a great experience. Hide and seek. We can all appreciate good old classic hide and seek. Here's the thing life is actually full of seekers, right? We've got people seeking meaning, seeking purpose, seeking truth, seeking fulfillment. But the question, the bigger question, the better question is, are you a finder? Are you a finder? Have you found purpose? Have you found meaning? Have you found truth? Have you found the ever so elusive state of fulfillment? So many people are wearing themselves out, even hurting the people around them that they care about, Seeking purpose and fulfillment in all the wrong places. And at the end of the day, or if we're going to be even more specific uh, and more accurate, by the end of our life, people start to realize that purpose and fulfillment really are not found by seeking a what. It's not about seeking money or accomplishments or possessions or knowledge or experience, but that purpose and fulfillment are found by seeking a who, not a what. And so you will only find purpose. You will only find fulfillment when you seek and find God. And much like a parent who doesn't try to hide themselves too hard for the little kids, God looks at us as his children and says, I'm not going to make it hard for you. I'm going to make it easy for you to find me. And so in Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What a great joy. What a great comfort to know that God knows you. God loves you, and he designs you to to know him and love him and experience him in relationship, to find him. And here's the other thing, and I want you to really pause here and think about this. Another part of God's design is God has designed us in such a way that nothing else and no one else will ever satisfy like he does. Think about that for a minute. God has made you so that nothing else in life No one else in life will ever bring you meaning, purpose, or fulfillment like he will. That's part of his divine design in your life. And so I want to make the case this morning that fulfillment is found in joyfully living for the giver of life rather than seeking the experiences of life. 
And that's what we're going to focus on today. And I'm going to call up Exhibit A for us today, which is this book that we're going to be studying for the next six weeks. And this is called the Book of Ecclesiastes. I invite you to turn to it uh, right now. It's in the Old Testament, kind of middle-ish of your Bible. So open up your Bible apps or open up your Bibles to the Book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to see how we can find this theme emerge that really fulfillment is found uh, in the giver of life rather than seeking the experiences of life. Now we're going to start right out of the gate here, Ecclesiastes 1. We're going to look at just verse 1 for a second. We're introduced here. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Let's stop here. Who is speaking? Who's God using to speak his word here? The word preacher is also translated in many of your Bibles as teacher, preacher, teacher. And it's the Hebrew word koheleth, okay? Koheleth. It means one who assembles. Koheleth is one who assembles or gathers people together to, to instruct to teach, and that's, that's the, the speaker here. And the title Ecclesiastes, in case you ever wanted to know what that meant or even how to pronounce it, um, derives its name from the Greek translation of that word Koheleth. And so any of you who have, who have studied New Testament, Greek, the church, know that uh, the, the, the Greek word we see for the church oftentimes is ekklesia. It's the called out ones. It's the gathering and so the one who calls out, the one who gathers, is uh, the Ecclesiastes. It's the one who assembles. So that's where we get the title for this book. Now, the age-old question is this, and it's been debated, and we're not settled on it. The question is, who is the Koheleth? Who is this person? Because he doesn't really come out and identify himself super clearly. Well, son of David. Well, son of David is a, is a phrase that can mean an ancestor of David, you know? We know they were king in Jerusalem. And so a lot of people are on different sides of this argument. He doesn't say, I'm so-and-so. But Christian tradition and Jewish tradition typically say that most of the clues lead to King Solomon. I personally align with that view. I believe and see continuity with the wisdom and the wealth and the works and all the experiences of the speaker to be that which matches up to the life of Solomon. I uh, see Solomon stepping aside in this moment as king and saying, I just want to come to you as teacher, as a sage, and instruct you in this moment. And if that's the case, then Ecclesiastes could have been written in the 900s BC. But there are other reputable and theological views out there Here's the point. It doesn't really matter who God used to write it because the content, the message, and the divine nature of this wisdom book doesn't change whether it was authored by Solomon or not. Now, FYI, in your study guide, I hope all of you uh, take a look at the study guide, preferably in your life groups or some context each week because there's uh, ways you can take the time we spend on Sunday and continue to invest yourself in study and reflection and take-home uh, application through the week. In your study guide this week, there's a neat little illustrated video that has an overview of Ecclesiastes and talks about the authorship. So just go to the website, look for this message, and you can find the study guide. Now, let's get to the bigger question. Not so much who it is, but what. What does the teacher want us to know? What's he trying to teach us? Look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now this word vanity is oftentimes also translated meaningless. And it's the Hebrew word havel. Everyone say havel. You just spoke Hebrew. You did a great job. That's great. It means breath or vapor or mist. It means it's, it's, it's conveying an emptiness, a vanity, it's unsatisfying. And this is a big theme in this book because 38 times 
in the book of Ecclesiastes, havel is brought together. This word meaningless or vanity. And so basically what the, the, the teacher is saying is saying, when you look at life and all that we experience in life, here's our basic conclusion. Everything is like a mist. And this thing is not cooperating. There it is. It's like a mist. Everything that I'm toiling after, everything that I'm trying to look for, like that's it. That's what you live for. All the stuff that we do, all the things that we chase after, there you go. I hope that was a great party. Hope you enjoyed it, you know? That, that's pretty much what he's saying here. And that's, that's the focus. And so he's saying everything is havel. It's like a breath or a vapor. It's brief. It's empty. It's vain. It's ultimately unsatisfying, all right? Now, think of this phrase as a link. Think of it as a general declaration, and now the teacher's going to dive in, click on the link, and unfold more information. He's going to get specific about what he's talking about. What is Havel? What am I talking about? So let's look at verses 3 through 14. He says, what does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is what? Vanity. It's this right there, right? Okay? It's vanity. And I am stri- and a striving after the wind. This is an honest look at life. The, 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 the instructor here is trying to deconstruct our constant pursuit of newness and something or someone who's going to bring us meaning, bring us purpose, bring us fulfillment. And he's looking at this as an honest inspection in life. And he's saying life is like a big treadmill. You're just on this treadmill. And man works Seasons change, days go by, satisfaction evades mankind, nothing is new, nothing has changed, nothing is understood, what was important and impressive is eventually forgotten, been there, done that, it's all vanity, meaningless, hevel, chasing the wind. Welcome to church, we wanted you to be encouraged today, there you go, let's pray, get out of here. I know some of you are thinking, uh, it's wrong, it says there's nothing new. iPhone 7 is pretty new, okay, let's think about what the iPhone 7 does, it tells time. They've been telling time for a long time. iPhone 7 is shinier. It just does it different, right? Well, there's a calendar on it. Well, they've been keeping track of the seasons for a very long time. It just does it different. Well, you can call people. Well, people used to call each other all the time. Hey! You know, I mean, it's like we, we just run the rut of the same experience in shiny new things. And nothing's really, truly new. And so the teacher gives a brief, depressing overview of what he calls life under the sun. 
And this is an expression used 29 times in Ecclesiastes. It's under the sun. And it's saying the life that we live is under this orange orb, this earthly life. And what we experience on earth, when you think about all that we do and all we chase and all we pursue for purpose, Havel is just meaningless. It's just vapor. It's just a mist. Now, this introduction is from a person who's been looking for fulfillment in the experiences of life rather than the giver of life. And to no surprise, his conclusion is that our quest for purpose and empty pursuits leaves us unfulfilled. Now, some of you have been there. Some of you might be there right now. You're thinking, is this all this life has to offer? And you think about, I go to work, I come home, I do it again the next day and the next week. Hey, I'm raising my kids, I love my kids, but you know what? They make a mess, I clean it up, they make a new one, I clean it up. I mow my lawn, it grows back. I cut it again, it grows back. I do the laundry, it shows up again a couple days later. I do it again, it shows up a couple days later. I cut my tree limbs, they grow back. I pay my bills, they show up again. I get hungry, I eat, I get hungry again. Life is a cycle of sameness. It's this treadmill, and that's when it's all said and done, it leaves us feeling like there's got to be something more. That is why so many people, as the author says here, weary themselves. We wear ourselves out trying everything the buffet of the world has to offer us, looking for something to truly find fulfilling, and it doesn't. The teacher clicks again and says, I'm going to get even more specific. I'm going to tell you where I looked for I played hide-and-seek with fulfillment. Let me tell you where I looked. You look in, in chapters, and we're just going to do an overview of chapter 1 and chapter 2 here. Chapter 1, 17 and 18, you look in chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, he says, you know where I looked? I was playing hide-and-seek with fulfillment, and I opened the door of wisdom. I looked in wisdom. There it is. Nope. God gave this man incredible wisdom. If it was Solomon, the most wisdom anyone's ever experienced, and couldn't find fulfillment there, no matter how wise he was. You look in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, I'm going to look in pleasure. I'm going to look under the bed of pleasure. What's under there? I looked for it. wasn't there. Tried to delight my heart with everything that the world had to offer. I looked there. Didn't find it. Meaningless. Chapter 2, again, verses 4 through 6, also 18 through 23, says, I'm going to look for it in accomplishment. I'm going to build stuff. I'm going to make things. And so he built houses and vineyards and gardens and pools and parks and forests, and he toiled hard. He says, I looked inside that door of accomplishment to find fulfillment. wasn't there. Eventually, it just left you empty. You look at chapter 2, verse 7. He says, I looked for fulfillment in wealth. This is, this is incredible wealth. We're not talking a little bit rich. We're talking crazy rich. He says, I bought servants. Like when we say, hey, man, I'm going to have my people talk to your people. Like these are really his people. He owns them. You know, he bought all these servants. He had many herds, flocks of animals, more than anyone before him. He acquired immeasurable riches, gold, silver. He even bought his own personal bands so that whenever he wanted to hear music, they just, you, th you think your iPod's cool? Man, these just, I want that band to come in here and play that tune for me. I want live music. He just had bands of people that he owned just to play whenever he wanted to play. He had uh, tons of concubines and women all his life. He, all that wealth brought him. He goes, I looked in wealth, and I couldn't find it there either. And if this is indeed Solomon, I want you to think. I want you to think of what he experienced, what he possessed, and what he accomplished. Because we know about that second king of Israel is that he had a resume for mankind that no one else has even touched. He was an entrepreneur and a builder and a designer and a lover and a counselor and a leader and an influencer. The most impressive resume in human history. Whether it's him or someone else, here's the bottom line. Been there, done that, and 
it doesn't deliver. It doesn't deliver. He takes it a step further. Look at Ecclesiastes 2. Wrap your mind around these verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was the reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all what? Just a couple myths. That was it. And behold, it was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Can you imagine seeing someone in the park chasing something? What are you chasing? Wind. I'm going to catch it. That's what he's doing here. Wrap your mind around this for a second. This person never told themselves no. They never told themselves no. This is a complete life of human self indulgence. Nothing was out of bounds. Nothing was out of limits. No human experience was left untouched. He could buy it. He could make it. He could purchase it. He could take it. And he says, it left nothing. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine that ability? You drive out of here. You drive down one of these Automart strips. You know what? I want that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. And next thing you know, you got 200 cars at the house. In fact, you go, my house is too small. I need a bigger one. In fact, I want 10 bigger ones. I'm going to buy that house and that house and that house and that house. I mean, just what if you had the ability to say yes to everything? This, this was his life. See, here's, and here's the deal. We naively think, now that's what I'm talking about. That sounds like heaven on earth. And he would sit down with us over a cup of coffee and go, uh-uh, it's actually hell on earth. Because it's not going to deliver like you think it is. It'll temporarily satisfy you for a moment. And then guess what? You got to buy something new because that got old, right? We all know that. We've all bought shiny little things that we were excited about, and then when we got less excited about it, we had to show it to other people so they could be excited about it to get us excited about it again, and eventually that thing just got old and we just wanted the next shiny thing. Oh, I just got to get a house. You get the house. Oh, man, I got to clean the house. You know? Oh, I like that car. You get that car. Oh, I got to get insurance for the car. Gas. Like, on and on and on and on we go, right? He says, it's not all you think it is. In fact, he takes it a step further. If you look at verse 21 in chapter 2, he says, you work so hard for all these things. You toil for all this stuff. And guess what? You don't even get to keep it because you die and you leave it to someone else. <clears throat> he goes, how wise is that? You use your whole life. You use up all your energy and efforts and resources to get all this stuff, acquire all this, make a name for yourself. And then guess what? You leave and give it to someone else. And whatever was important to you no longer will be important down the road. Like, go to any local high school, college, whatever, and walk down the trophy windows, right? Like, no one's walking up going, ooh, 1965 MVP, what a hero. Like, whoever earned that trophy, it was like the glory moment, and now it's just a rusty relic in some glass window that kids today walk by don't even look at. And we're all building our trophies, guys. We're all putting our trophies up going, look, who cares? All your stuff's going to go to someone else. No one's going to remember. Like, that's what he's saying here. This is, this is what he's delivering. So it's needless to say, Ecclesiastes is a depressing account of a wise and wealthy man <laughs> who regrets squandering his years and his efforts and his life on things that brought him no joy in the end. And here's where we go wrong. We think, yeah, but if that was me, it would be different. Somehow we think we're the exception to the rule. Well, that was that poor soul, man. Like, give me his paycheck. 
I'll be happy with it, you know? If I could just get in a time machine and change with old Mr. Koheleth, well, I'd have a different song to sing. God gave this man the ability to do everything, just like if he gave any of us the ability to do anything, and we'd all come to the same conclusion. It's just chasing after that. That's all it is. You know, they say a smart person learns from their mistakes. Would you agree with that? A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. You know what? He's made his fair share of mistakes. We have people in our lives that have made their fair share of mistakes. Some of you have children thinking of you right now because they've seen you make your fair share of mistakes. And they're going, I'm going to learn. I don't need to experience the pain that that person went through. I'm going to learn from what happened to them. Kohelet is saying, look at what I did. Learn from the teacher. No amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of accomplishments, no amount of popularity will ever bring true and lasting fulfillment. It's chasing after a vapor, a mist. That's all it is. You know, you just need to spend time with people in their later years who start to reflect on life in light of their mortality to start to even hear that same kind of talk of what value, what is really of great value, what really matters. And you start to hear echoes of Ecclesiastes. It's interesting. In 2009, an Australian nurse named Bronnie Ware, she worked in the terminal palliative care unit, and she decided to just pull her patients who had days and weeks left to live, and just ask them about their last days in hopes to kind of uncover some regrets that other people could learn from. Here were the top five themes that she discovered in that huge study. These are the top five things people said that they regretted or they wish they would have done different on their deathbed. One, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I could have just been who I was and not try to fit into a mold. Two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. Three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wasn't afraid to just say what I felt. Four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Just found a way to just enjoy life a little bit more. What don't you hear? These are people that are like, they're, they're hours and days and weeks from dying. And I don't hear, I wish I had more money. I wish I had a bigger house, better car, more stuff, more experiences, more traveling. Do you hear any expression of wanting more of what we toil and chase after? No. Well, let's not just be smart. Let's be wise. Let's learn from these people. You know, this reminds me of something another pastor named Francis Chan said in one of his writings. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. I mean, that, isn't that the American dream? <laughs> succeeding at things that really don't matter. It's just a vapor. It's just a mist. It just leaves us wanting. So what does matter most? What does the teacher conclude? What's his point? And he's basically saying this. Fulfillment is found in joyfully living for the giver of life rather than seeking the experiences of life. That's basically what he's saying. And after indulging, not sampling, after indulging in the experiences of life, here's where he lands. Look at chapter 2 with me, verses 24 through 26. All right? Chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Here's where he lands. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find what? enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of who? God. Man, if I could just enjoy what I do. You want that? Well, you better get within reach of the Lord because it's from his hand. 
You're not going to enjoy what you do unless it's delivered to you from God himself. That's what he's saying here. And it says, verse 25, For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give it to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. Here's where the wise and wealthy one landed. A life lived apart from God is meaningless. A life trying to enjoy and pursue things apart from God is empty. It's futile. And we're not talking about, when we're talking about believing in God and trusting God, we're not talking about this little, I believe in God, I occasionally go to church, I barely read my Bible, I only pray when I want something kind of belief in God. We're talking about a surrendering. We're talking about a God-dependent child of God saying, I don't know why you love me, but I'm going to cling to you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to try to see you and seek you all of my life kind of relationship with God that's going to bring the fulfillment and the purpose that we're all longing for, that we just keep trying to fill with other things that just satisfy for a moment, and then they go away because it's just a miss. Now, before I go too far, notice he's not saying wisdom and accomplishments and wealth are bad. He's just saying, enjoy them, don't live for them. Receive them as a gift from God and enjoy them in the toil as from God's hand. And so there's not true enjoyment apart from the Lord. So don't pursue these experiences for purpose and fulfillment. Don't make them a God that you serve. Work is a gift from God. Receive as a gift, but it's not God, right? Wealth, that's a gift from God, but it's not God. Influence is a gift from God, but not God. Wisdom is a gift of God, but it's not God. Pleasure is a gift from God, but it's not God. And the second we seek pleasure, and we seek wealth, and we seek influence, and we seek all those things, we're making it a God that we serve, and that becomes idolatry. And if we're going to have an honest conversation, some of us are going to go, I've been doing idolatry, because I've made this something that I'm chasing after and serving rather than my God. And you can be intelligent and wealthy and experienced and well-traveled and productive and popular and still have an insatiable appetite for more. Something's still missing. You're still unfulfilled. Like, look, if we're going to be honest, if, if, if all of us got to a place where we had giant homes, big boats, fancy cars, nice clothes, you know what we're really trying to do? We're just trying to impress other people. We're just trying to impress other people. We want other people to look at you and go, wow. That's what that's about. Because if no one was around to look at it, you would start, you know, why do I have this big old house? Why do I have all this stuff? What am I doing? If no one was around to impress, you'd probably get rid of it anyways. But that impression, it feeds our egos. It feeds our self-worth. And for a moment we go, I'm fulfilled. But it's a false sense of fulfillment. Because it goes by-by really fast. Next thing you know, I need something bigger. I need something newer. I need something better. Chasing after the wind. Chasing after Havel. That's all it is, all the time. So let's not get suckered into thinking, if I just have blank, fill in the blank, I'll be fulfilled. I'll be happy. I'll have meaning. I'll have purpose. It's the Lord who fills in the blank. If I just have the Lord, I'll be fulfilled. I'll find true joy. I'll enjoy what's going on in this life. So living for God, it's about appreciating. It's about appreciating God, not accumulating. That's just going to leave us empty. And if we seek the Lord, we will find fulfillment. 
If we seek fulfillment, we find disappointment. So you have to seek the Lord. Now, the teacher says that nothing under the sun, S-U-N, fulfills, right? It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. And that the one who dwells above the sun is the one who fulfills us. So if everything under the sun is unfulfilling, then the one above the sun is the one who fulfills. But here, let's play with this language a little bit. Those who live under the sun will better enjoy what's under the sun if they live to love and please the one above the sun, right? And the way that God has made that possible is to be in love with and follow his son, S-O-N, right? So Jesus is how God made himself known to us. He provides the answers to the questions and fills in the blanks through Jesus. Jesus quenches the thirst for fulfillment in our souls. I want you to think about our narrative. Think about our origin. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, Ecclesiastes couldn't have been written. We had meaning. We had purpose. Think about it. What's our job if we're the first man and woman? Enjoy our relationship with God, tend to the garden a little bit, and multiply. That's it. Enjoy. That's what, that, that's what happened. But God gave us that opportunity, gave us that you know, window that we can choose to love or choose not to love, choose to obey, not to obey. And our ancient ancestors decided rebellion, decided I want to do what I want to do. Still rings true today, right? And once they rebelled from God and disobeyed, sin came flooding in. And sin contaminated us, and then it brought the futility that we now fight every day. And ever since then, mankind searches for meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in the creation rather than the creator from the origin. Now, Jesus came, and he was born through that miraculous birth. He lived that perfect life. He died on that cross. He rose from that grave to break that cycle for us. Not just to give us heaven, but to give us enjoyment in the things that we experience here now. Apart from Christ, you can't just enjoy. You can't go, I'm just going to enjoy. I'm just going to enjoy. I'm just going to enjoy. You have to surrender yourself to Christ so that he can bring the enjoyment into your life. Ecclesiastes presents a dark backdrop in which the good news of Jesus shines forth and changes how we live. Jesus echoes the message of Ecclesiastes when he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the what? whole world, and forfeits his soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus brings it home. We can have everything the world has to offer, and if we don't have Christ, we have nothing. And we have nothing the world has to offer, but if we have Christ, we have everything. And he changes the way we see life, we live life, we journey through life. He brings greater joy and fulfillment. I was talking to a woman after the last service, and she just, she just gave me an incredible account of how that's come true in her life. She works in the medical field. And there's this one man in her uh, area that her job is to wash a leg ulcer for him every day. I'm like, I've never seen a leg ulcer. Let me just tell you, do not Google that while you're eating, okay? It's nasty. And she just said, I hated doing that. And she said, one day while I was washing his leg, and I was not having a good time doing it in my spirit, She goes, I thought about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And then she just started tearing up. He's in there, she's talking to me. She goes, if Jesus can wash the legs of the disciples, then I can wash this man's legs. And she says, and you know what? I do a better job now than I did before. What is that? That's Jesus turning routine, mundane, 
cyclical life into something that has more purpose and joy? What is it for you? What is it that every day you go, oh, that, like maybe like you need to see from the hand of God, oh, I got to go to work. Praise God you have a job, right? Because there's other people in this room going, I've been praying for a job. And there's some people going, oh, you know, I've got these aches and these pains. Praise God you're alive because there's some people in the hospital that would trade with you in a heartbeat. Like, we just look at our lives and we go, where's God giving us the grace and the joy and the purpose and the fulfillment that we're not seeing? It's in Christ that we can experience that. All found joyfully for living of the giver of life rather than the seeking the experiences of life. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it what? All for the glory of God. That's what God has for us, my friends. That's what God has for us. It just comes down to this simple thought. Fulfillment is found joyfully living for the giver of life rather than seeking the experiences of life. You know, we need to respond today by committing to draw nearer to God and to enjoy his gifts. In order to find the fulfillment that we seek, we've got to pour ourselves into God until we see him face to face. So I've got three reflection questions for you that I want you to process right now. Here they are right here. Let's just, let's just walk through these. And I, I want you to dig down. I want you to write them down if you have the answers. The first question is this. What am I seeking after that really doesn't matter? What are you chasing right now? What are you giving your life to? What are you giving your effort and your energy and money to? That it's not going to last. It's not making a difference for the kingdom of God. You're just toiling under the sun. It's just Havad. Second question is a little bit deeper. Why am I doing that? Why am I seeking that? What deeper need am I trying to fill? Like, can you back up and go, why am I doing that? Why am I giving myself, why am I enslaved to that? Th those other people's opinions. Why do I need their approval in my life? Why, why do I need to show up to that party every time just to be someone I'm not? What, what am I looking for when I take those substances? What, what am I really looking for? Why, why am I looking for that the house is 10 times bigger than I need it to be. Like, what? why am I really doing this? And, of course, the third one helps answer the question. You know, we're looking for Christ. That's what need we're trying to fill. Have I come to my senses and have been seeking Christ who alone truly fulfills? Are you seeking Christ? Are you looking for him? My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't drift don't be seduced away from Jesus by little shiny temporary trinkets that the world's trying to sell us. Let's not abandon our deeper connection with God. We gotta, we gotta seek and see Christ in this life. An occasional Bible verse a couple times a week is not seeking Christ. Deciding I'm gonna show up to church once every so often to learn something is not seeking Christ. Praying only when I want something or rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, before I eat something. Like, that's not seeking Christ. Missions trip? No, not me. That's for those. Not seeking Christ. Oh, you want me to go next door to my neighbor and, t and just love on them? Ah, let's see. Jesus was asked what was the two most important things. Love God, love your neighbor. Oh, loving my neighbor is part of seeking Christ. How are you seeking Christ? That's where you're going to find your fulfillment that you're looking for, that you're trying to fill up with all this other stuff. Brothers and sisters, don't deviate. Stay focused. Enjoy the routine of his creation. Enjoy his faithfulness. For those of you here who don't know Christ, God's calling you. 
He's saying, I- I've given you an example of someone who's done everything you'd ever wanted to do and then some. It's not going to fill. Come to me. I will fill you. I will be there for you. So are you tired yet? My friend, are you tired yet? Are you exhausted of trying to pour yourself into all these things and chase after all these things only to find out that in the end it's just a little squirt of mist and that's it. This little thing is just there. That's it. I'm chasing that. That's it. And God has so much more for you. So don't pursue things that don't fulfill. Just got to seek and see Christ. My friends, fulfillment is found in joyfully living for the giver of life. It's not going to be found in seeking the experiences of life. Let's be wise. Let's learn that from someone who's done it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a kickstart. It's just an appetizer to this amazing book that you've given us, Lord. God, thank you for this teacher, whether it be Solomon or someone else, Lord, that you used. Thank you for this teacher. Thank you for this person that you allowed to experience so much so that they can come back and say it's empty without God. Thank you that they give you glory, that everything's from your hand, enjoyment's from your hand, the toil's from your hand, the ability to enjoy the toil is from your hand. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now that, God, maybe they've drifted, or maybe the shiny little trinkets of the world have seduced them away from you. Father, would you bring us back? God, with the way we read your word, fellowship with other believers, use our resources, demonstrate that we're about seeking you and fulfillment in you. Thank you for that reminder, Father. Lord, I pray for any man or woman or boy or girl right now or here or watching or listening that they don't have you in their life. They're just stuck in that cycle and sin is just keeping them stuck there. That you give them the courage to come to you. And if that's you today, I just want to offer a, a prayer that you can pray. It's not me. It's not the words. It's, this is just a guide, a little map to articulate to the Lord the intention you need to go. It's on the screen if you want to pray this with me. You can just say, Jesus, I'm so tired of playing hide and seek. I'm so exhausted trying to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment outside of you. I'm lost. I'm empty. I'm sinful. I need you and your love and grace. I acknowledge that you made a way for me to come to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. And rising from the grave, right now I place my belief in you as my Lord and Savior. I come to you in faith and surrender and commit my life to following you. God, this is our heart. This is our prayer. Make this come true in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Amen.